You are listening to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Sevierville, where our mission is helping people move from their point of need to hope in Christ. For more information about our church, head on over to severe.church. Today's sermon, I Am the Door, is part three in the series, I Am For You, shared by Senior Pastor Dan Spencer. Thank you so much to our choir and uh, Pastor Scott. Good gracious, that was good. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, That is what we've been talking about uh, this month, and we'll continue next month. We're looking at seven statements that Jesus made recorded in the Gospel of John that all begin with the words, I am. And we're looking at each of these one at a time uh, because they're so meaningful. Now, uh, we have to understand that for the Jewish people in Jesus' day, the title I am was reserved only for God. They always said those words with great reverence because uh, this is the name of God. This is what God said to Moses from the burning bush that he should call him. He said, I am that I am. And so uh, when Jesus came along and he applied that title to himself, it was clear what he was claiming. Jesus was claiming, I am God in the flesh. And then Jesus added these descriptions. He would say, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never hunger. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall have the light of life. Uh, I am Uh, The true vine, he who abides in me, will bear much fruit, and so on. Seven times, and if you put all of this together, this is why we are, are looking at them one at a time. All together, this is how Jesus wants us to understand who he is and why he came. Today, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 10, and look at how Jesus said, not only I am the good shepherd, but I am the door. We'll focus today on how Jesus said, I am the door. So John chapter 10, we're going to begin reading here in verse 1. John 10 and verse 1. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Now, uh, they did not understand it, but by the grace of God, we're going to today. We're going to understand what this means. Verse 7. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, here it is, 
I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Then in the next breath, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. So uh, the shepherd, the sheep, the door, let's talk about that. In the time of Christ, sheep and shepherds were uh, so much a part of everyday life that uh, they really were familiar to everyone. It required no explanation at all. Everyone was so familiar with it. One reason is that uh, much of the land was rocky and unsuitable for planting crops, much more conducive to raising sheep. And so uh, really sheep and shepherds could be found everywhere. And everyone was aware of the fact that uh, shepherding was not an easy job. It was a a dirty job. It was a time-consuming job. It required constant attention to the sheep. Uh, When it comes to sheep, the shepherd has to care for them. He can't just stand back and watch them. It's very hands-on. Among other things, the duties of a shepherd would be to lead them to find good grass to graze on, uh, to rescue the sheep from danger, to protect them from thieves and predators, to care for the sheep who were injured or who were sick. It was always something. And uh, really, to, to make it worse, it was well known, and you probably have heard this as well, sheep are not very bright. They really aren't. Sheep uh, really can't defend themselves. Uh, the sheep are totally dependent on their shepherd. And so that meant a good shepherd had to be vigilant and watchful and uh, fearless and patient. And really, uh, a shepherd, a good shepherd, had to be very close and, uh, and to know his sheep very well. The bottom line is, A shepherd had to love the sheep in his flock if he was going to be a good shepherd. And so we find the idea running all through the Bible that the relationship between God and his people is like a relationship between a good shepherd and his sheep. The prophet Isaiah said, hey, all we like sheep have gone astray and we've turned everyone to his own way. Uh, Like a sheep... Uh, we don't make good choices sometimes. We, we do dumb things that hurt ourselves and hurt others. We are like those sheep. Uh, Psalm 100 says that we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then, of course, Psalm 23 says the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is my shepherd, I, I want for nothing. I, I have everything that I need. And so then Jesus comes along. And he says, I am that shepherd. I am the good shepherd. 
And, and it, it blew their minds. And then he said, uh, I am the door. What about the door? What does that mean? Well, uh, in those days, there was normally in each village a common sheepfold. Uh, all of the shepherds of that village who would have their sheep out grazing on the countryside at night would lead their sheep uh, back to the sheepfold. It was an enclosure often made of, of stones, a stone wall enclosure. And uh, some of them that have been uh, excavated have been found to uh, be big enough for a, a, a hundred, even 200 sheep. Some were very large. Now, the way it worked is that one of the shepherds at night would be assigned to be the doorkeeper, and all of the sheep would be led into the fold by the different shepherds. They would spend the night there while the shepherds went home. And the doorkeeper's job was to be a guard. He would stand there or lie there at the entrance and be on guard if thieves or predators would come in and try to steal the sheep or kill the sheep. And so the doorkeeper... Uh, at night, he would accept all the sheep. The shepherds would go home and come back for them the next morning. And uh, you might wonder, didn't all the different flocks get mingled together and mixed up? How do they know who's who? Uh, well, not really, because all of the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. In the morning, the different shepherds would come to get their sheep. The shepherd would speak to the doorkeeper, and all of his sheep would kind of perk up and think, well, that's my guy. And, and they would recognize their shepherd's voice. And then the shepherd would call them by name. And they would follow him and he would lead them back out to pasture. Uh, now, only the shepherd could get into the sheepfold. The doorkeeper wouldn't let a thief in, of course. Only the shepherd could get in. And so thieves, Jesus said in verse 1, if they were going to try to steal the sheep, they, they couldn't go through the door. The doorkeeper wouldn't let them in. The, shepherd, the, the, the thief would have to climb over the wall to get to them. In verse 2, uh, Jesus said, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, that is, the true shepherd. Uh, the, the doorkeeper is not going to open for thieves or robbers. And then it says, To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. Did you know that God's sheep... Hear the voice of Jesus when he calls. It says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Uh, just think about that. This blesses my heart to think that Jesus knows my name and he knew it before the foundation of the world and that he has that kind of a personal, intimate relationship with me that he actually cares about me and he wants to be near me and he loves me in a special, personal way. You know, shepherds back then always named their sheep. And when he called, they knew his call. They knew it. And so Jesus is the shepherd of his sheep. It's talking about those who are saved. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But Jesus says, uh, I'm not only the shepherd of the sheep who cares for them and provides for them, uh, but I'm also the door to the sheepfold. Now, what does that mean? That's sort of confusing. How can Jesus be the shepherd and the door at the same time? 
Well, here's one possibility. Sometimes the shepherd would have to spend the night out in the open countryside with his sheep. There was no sheepfold there. He would have to improvise. And so at night, in order to make sure the flock was together and protected, the shepherd would make a a little temporary sheepfold. Uh, Maybe he'd find a, a rock face or an outcropping, and then he would just gather what he could find, branches and brambles and sticks, and he would make out of that a sort of a makeshift pen, a a little sheepfold just big enough for his sheep, and he would get them all in there, and there would be no door or gate, of course, but, but he would just leave an opening there. And once all the sheep were in there, he counted every one, and he settled in for the night. Do you know what that shepherd would do? He would, he would lie down across that entryway so that nothing could get in or out without going over the body of the shepherd. Literally, the shepherd became the door of the sheepfold. And that's why Jesus can say in one breath, I'm the shepherd, and in the next breath say, I'm also the door. And do you realize what that means? It means that you cannot enter the presence of God. You cannot enter God's sheepfold through any other door. You must go through Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus is, according to verse 11, the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so Jesus says, I'm the door to God's sheepfold. You'll never get in but by me. I not only lead you out of danger and care for your soul, but I'm the door through which you enter into God's presence. Now, remember what he said in verse 9. Jesus said, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. To be saved, of course, means to be be kept safe and secure in God's presence forever. And, and there's a warmth there. There's a peace there. There's a security there. There's love there. And so what a promise we have from the Lord Jesus. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. That's the promise that we have. Now, let me show you something. In verse 1, and then repeated in verse 7, Jesus says something that he said all the time. And it's when he was making some point that he wanted to make sure people listened and understood. Listen, you can believe in this. You can anchor your faith on this because this is the truth. And what he would say in his language was, Amen, Amen. It's Amen, Amen in our language. It's translated here most assuredly. In other translations, Truly, truly, I say to you. And so here's what he says. Jesus says, most assuredly, in verse 1. In verse 7, he says it again. Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. In other words, you can anchor your faith on this truth that I am the door of the sheep. And so Jesus is assuring us that this is something we can believe in and build our lives on. 
And so I, I want to give you today three assurances that I find in this passage. And, uh, and here is the first assurance. Number one, the only door to salvation is Jesus. It's as simple as that. Jesus made it very clear. He said, I am the door. He uses the definite article there. Uh, in, in order to say, I'm not one of many options that can get you there into God's presence, into salvation, uh, but I am the door, the only door to salvation. So many people in this age of pluralism and and people thinking there are many ways to get to God. You just pick your own. You do you. You just self-style your own kind of faith. Believe whatever you want to believe. Uh, but Jesus taught something different. I'm going to show you a, a sort of a, a, an architectural metaphor of this from the city of Chicago. Look at this. This is a, a beautiful building in the city of Chicago. Um, it's a Baha'i temple. And it was constructed in such a way that it's supposed to make a statement. And, and the statement is that this Baha'i temple has not one front door, but nine front doors. And the point is this. Hey, it doesn't matter which door you enter, they all lead to the same place. Each of those nine doors represents a major uh, religion or belief system in the world. And so what they're saying is, look, it doesn't matter how you get there. All those different doors lead to the same place. They'll all get you to God. But Jesus taught something different, didn't he? Jesus said, I am the door. There's only one way. There's only one door to salvation. All others are empty promises. All other doors will ultimately lead you not to life, but to death. And yet, we see it all the time. People continue to walk through all other kinds of doors. For many of us, that's our story too, isn't it? That there was a time we were trying every door we could get our hands on, every way we could try that would, would get us some soul satisfaction some way to find salvation, some way to find satisfaction for our souls. And yet, uh, ultimately, we were looking for those things that only Jesus can provide. All other doors disappoint and lead to nowhere. Now, it's interesting. Jesus is speaking here to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were looked upon as the most righteous, the most holy in the nation of Israel. They were the teachers of Israel. And yet Jesus says, uh, no, these men are leading you astray. And I think the Pharisees knew what Jesus was getting at when he said, look, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. Everybody else, speaking of those Pharisees, is a thief and a robber. And what they want to do is they want to mislead you, but they're going to end up uh, stealing your faith and killing your faith and destroying your faith. Uh, don't follow them. And, and so uh, Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees here. And the way they were leading people astray is that they were teaching, in essence, that 
the door to salvation is religious effort. In other words, what you need to do is keep all the rules of the law perfectly and then God will have favor on you and God will love you. God will bless you. And on top of the Mosaic law, they had piled on all of these regulations and all of these rules that they attached to it so that it became a a heavy burden of guilt that, that the people would have to bear, an impossible task for them to complete. And, and what the Pharisees would preach is, hey, it's all on you. What you need is more effort. Try harder. Try harder. That was always the answer. Do more. Give more. Be more. But it was an impossible task. And so what that evolved into under the Pharisees was a kind of a contest to see Uh, who can be more devoted to the law than the next guy, Uh, who can make more sacrifices, who can give more offerings, who can do more holy things to to end up uh, appearing to be more holy than anyone else. And it was a vicious cycle that led not to God, but to uh, self-promotion. And I can relate to that because before I came to Christ, that was me. I was a teenage Pharisee. Always uh, trying to do the right thing. If I can just be better and comparing, if I can just do better and be better than the guy next to me, then maybe God will uh, love me. Maybe I can earn his favor. If I can just do enough and be good enough. But here's the problem. Inside that door of, of religious effort was not life, but only hypocrisy and spiritual showmanship and posturing and comparing and living under a burden of of guilt and never being enough to gain God's favor. Many people still enter that door today, the door of religious effort. But on the other side of that door, uh, there really is no salvation. Others, we see this all the time, Uh, try to go through the door of escape, like they're going to find some escape hatch from from the realities of living in this broken world and all of the pain and disappointment and grief that sin brings into our lives, sins that we commit, sins that are committed against us. Is there a way that we can escape that somehow? And so many people look for a door of escape, maybe through Drugs and alcohol where they can just check out for a while. Maybe through different kinds of amusements and entertainments and distractions. But here's what we find. That inside all of those doors where we try to escape from what sin has done in our lives and in our world. uh, We find that there are a lot of thrills. But those thrills disappear so quickly that they leave you empty and alone every time. The door of escape. And then we may, we may knock on doors of success in business, 
success in sports, success in education, but they leave us empty in the end. Or we knock on the door of other philosophies, but none of those deliver what they promise. Over and over and over, we see people knocking on door after door after door of intimate relationships, trying to fill the void in their lives. But it turns out there is no life inside those doors. There is no help. There is no hope inside those doors. The only door of salvation is Jesus. It's Jesus. Only Jesus. Another assurance that we find in this passage is about the blessings inside. I want you to think about this. The blessings inside. In verse 9, Jesus said, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. You enter. Here's what Jesus is talking about. You enter by faith in Jesus. Trusting in His love for you and His mercy and His death on the cross as a sacrifice for your sin. You're you're trusting your life to Him as you simply surrender to Him. And, And so it turns out there really is no effort on your part to enter in. It's just trusting in what Jesus has already done when He died for your sins and rose from the dead. And so when we come to that door, we bring nothing. But our sin and our failure and our need and Jesus, as we just turn our lives over to him, Jesus saves us by his grace. It's not by anything we've done. It's because he loves us. And so when that happens, when you enter through Jesus into salvation, here are the blessings that are on the inside. I just want to list them for you. It's so good. Uh, The first one, of course, is salvation. Jesus said, whoever enters by me will be saved. I think of that salvation like a a shepherd with a stubborn sheep who has wandered away and gotten into trouble and danger and they're, they're wounded and lost and clueless and helpless. And, and the shepherd comes and he picks that sheep up and, and holds it close and brings it to the safety of the flock. In the same way, when we come to Jesus and believe in Him, Jesus rescues us and He forgives us and, and He carries us and He loves us and He gives us new life and a new future. There is salvation like that inside when we enter through Jesus. But that's not all, there is more and it gets better. Not only do we get that salvation, but we also, on the inside, get the the care of the good shepherd. We get the care of the shepherd. Think about that. When, when, When you're in trouble, our good shepherd is right there. When life is knocking you around, he's there to pick you up and and to comfort and to restore. When people mistreat you, when you fall down, when your wounds are self-inflicted, when you don't know where to go, the good shepherd is there 
picking you up and speaking peace to you and and caring for your soul and and he's always there so we get salvation on the inside we get the care of the good shepherd but that's not all it gets better we also get a place in the flock I'm talking about the family of God around us to love us and support us and encourage us. And beyond that, we get freedom from fear. Imagine living that way. Verse 9, Jesus said that when you're saved, uh, well, you can go in and out. If he's your shepherd, you can go in and out living in this world uh, without fear because you know your shepherd is with you all the time. And and there's even more than that. We get, according to verse 9, his provision as well. Uh, Jesus said, wherever you are, whatever you go through, as you go in and out through this world, you will find pasture. Like a shepherd puts his sheep on good grass so that they can be nourished. Our good shepherd always provides for our needs uh, so that we can live life to the fullest. And that brings me to the last thing that is mentioned in verse 10. Inside the door, we get what Jesus called abundant life. He said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. The life Jesus gives us goes way beyond just breathing and living and surviving to the next day. It goes far beyond Uh, just existing, but what Jesus gives is a quality of life that goes beyond our wildest dreams. It's life to the fullest that Jesus gives us. And so we get salvation and the care of our shepherd and abundant life and all the rest on the inside. Isn't that good? We have his assurance on that. Uh, But then let me close with this. Uh, We can't talk about how good it is inside the door without also thinking about the realities and the responsibilities we have on the outside. There are realities and responsibilities that we need to, we need to own up to on the outside. The truth is, on the outside, the situation is desperate. What Jesus talked about in verse 10 We've all seen it. We've all experienced this, that life will tear you apart. He says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And we see that in our families and in our friend groups, what life can do, what our enemy Satan can do. The situation is desperate. We see people doing all kinds of desperate and crazy things to try to fill the void in their soul that only Jesus can fill. Um, That's the reality. Here's the responsibility. For those of us, listen to this, for those of us who have entered the door, we've come to Jesus We're we're experiencing all those blessings on the inside. For those of us who've entered the door, we have a responsibility to help others find the door. To tell them about Jesus. To lead them to the door that leads to life 
and salvation and all those blessings. That's our responsibility. There's a poem that I've known about for many years, written back in the 1950s by Sam Shoemaker. Here's what he said about it. I like the way he describes it. He said, I stay near the door. So many are still outside, and they crave to know where the door is. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched, groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, and yet they can't find it. And so I stay near the door. The most important thing anyone can do is to take hold of one of those blind, groping hands and put it on the latch of the door. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand near the door. Outside the door, thousands of them, millions of them, but more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I shall stay by the door and wait for those who seek it. And that's it, isn't it? That's got to be our focus. That's our responsibility. Those of us who by God's grace were shown the door by someone else, we need to help people find the door of Jesus. What if we all took that seriously? Imagine what it would be like if we all took that seriously. What if we all look at people in terms of, hey, they're either inside or they're outside. And that's why people do desperate things, because they're outside. And what would it be like if, if they found the door? And we can have a part in that. Fellow students in the classroom, friends at work, family members who are doing desperate things, groping in the dark, and we, by sharing the gospel, can put their hand on the latch of the door. We need to make sure that's the focus of our church as well. I read a strange story uh, some time ago about a soldier in communist Russia who was wounded and ordered to the military hospital for treatment. When he arrived at this large, impressive government hospital building, he saw two doors. And they uh, had signs over these two doors. Over the one, uh, it said, for the slightly wounded. Over the second door, it said, for the seriously wounded. And so he entered in that first door and found himself in a long hallway. At the end of that hallway, there were two more doors. Over the first, it said, for officers. Over the second, it said, for non-officers. So he went through that second door, found himself in another long hallway. At the end of that hallway, there were two more doors the first one said for Communist Party members. The second said for non-Communist Party members. So he went out the second door and found himself back in the street. He ran into a friend and the friend said, hey, how did everything go in the hospital? And the man said, well, to tell you the truth, the people there didn't do a thing for me. 
But you ought to see the organization they have. I don't want that to describe our church, do you? Where people may come here and find a good organization and, and good programming and organized facilities and all that and yet miss the most important thing. It has to be our focus. It has to be the main thing that we show people the door to introduce them to Jesus. We fail if we don't do that. Teresa and I had a great experience over the weekend. Uh, both of our sons are pastors in Georgia, and uh, it's, it's a chore to get three pastors together at the same time. And so uh, we managed to do it over the weekend, took family pictures, had a great time. We had both of them and their families, all five grandchildren together uh, for about 24 hours. It was awesome. Yesterday afternoon, we had uh, a birthday party for my grandson, Canyon. He turned three. They said, do you want a Mickey Mouse party or a Bucky's party? And he chose Bucky's. And so uh, we all had the t-shirts, Bucky's, snacks, and everything. And it was just a great time. I, I just enjoyed standing back, watching all the chaos and the fun and watching my sons be fathers and, and watching the grandkids play. And uh, I was thinking about what I would say this morning. And, uh, and here's what I, what I ended up thinking of. That as parents and grandparents, we can do a lot for our children. We can give them things that give them opportunities and, and uh, help them to do better than we did. There's a lot we can give them. But as parents and grandparents, we fail them if we don't show them the door. If we don't make it clear that Jesus is the only door to salvation. And in the end, that's all that matters. And so let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, let's be doorkeepers. Let's be guides that show people who are groping in the darkness where they can find life and salvation. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I, I pray that if there's anyone here today who is lost in their sin, that Lord, today would be the day that everything changes. Lord, I, I, I remember what it was like to be on the outside, going through the wrong doors that led to nowhere. And then I remember, Lord, in the middle of the night at my parents' bedside when my dad gave me the gospel and he made it so clear. And in that moment, Lord, I had nothing to bring but my sin and my failed attempts to do it on my own. All I did was just believe in you and what you'd already done for me. And I remember that moment, Lord, when the door opened and you took me in and nothing has ever been the same. 
Lord, I pray if there's anyone who is on the outside today and they've seen the door this morning, that today would be the day that they enter in. And in in fact, as we continue to pray, if that's you, would you right now call on the Lord Jesus to save you? Would you just tell him, Jesus, I know I'm on the outside. I know I'm a sinner. And I know what I deserve. Will you tell him this? Jesus, I believe in you. And I want to enter in. I ask you to save me now. As we continue to pray, Heavenly Father, I I pray for those of us who have already entered in. For me, it's 40 years ago. Lord, I I pray that you would open our ears to hear the desperate cries of those who are on the outside. Open our eyes to see what's really going on in their lives and all the desperation and the emptiness. And God, will you light a fire in our hearts to tell them about you to lead them to the door so that they can enter in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe and share. And if you want a pastor to follow up with you regarding today's message, reach out to us at severe.church slash follow up. Thanks again for joining us on the First Baptist Church Severeville podcast.